Just a quick disclaimer, there is some stronger-than-usual violence this week. There are kids who listen to this show, so I always want to give a heads up. Check out the post on mythsandlegends.com for more details. This week, on Myths and Legends, it's the continuation of our Robin Hood tale. And this time, the Sheriff of Nottingham is on his last nerve. With his reputation on the line, failure is not an option. Despite his unimpressive past being peppered with exactly that. The creature this week is that stinky guy with the weird hair and clammy skin, who might just try to keep your soul in a jar. This is Myths and Legends, episode 141b, The Hunted. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Previously on the show, 15-year-old Robin Hood mysteriously showed up at a royal archery contest, where he absolutely owned the kingdom's best archers, humiliated the Sheriff of Nottingham, and escaped into the forest, where he ended up leading a band of outlaws. And it was those outlaws who robbed from, well, everyone, and gave to themselves. The Sheriff, embarrassed one time too many, hired an assassin by the name of Guy of Gisborne, who he tasked with putting an end to his Robin problem forever. Robin had been captured. Little John pounded on the table, the scattered ales jumping into the air. He told Robin not to go, but Robin wouldn't listen. He had to go to Nottingham, didn't he? said something about the last time he went, he had been in disguise as a potter. He wouldn't go near the sheriff, he'd said, insisting that there was something he had to do. Of course, they had gotten into a fight, and little John had left, leaving Robin alone in a clearing on the way to Nottingham. He wouldn't be following the little punk anymore, and would be leaving Robin's band of outlaws altogether. And now, Robin had been captured. Word from area scouts had come back that the doors to the city were closed and the wall was swarming with guards. No one was allowed in or out, except on order of the king. Much the miller's son, one of Robin's most trusted friends, sat down next to Little John. A few of them were getting together to figure out how to rescue their leader. Was Little John in? The seven-foot-tall outlaw finished his ale, then down Much's too. He grumbled. Yeah, he was in. Let's go get Robin. A few hours earlier, Robin wasn't thinking about the sheriff, or the dungeons, or the dozens of guards that would be on the walls on his behalf. He was thinking about church. He was thinking about peace. He hadn't been in church in, well, years, since he'd first stepped foot in the forest, since he had left home. By now, Robin had been stealing for years, and it was finally starting to wear on him, as he sat looking out across the greenery one May morning at the splendor of God in the forest, he knew. He knew that he had to go to church. He felt it so deeply that he ignored Much's advice to take a dozen or so armed men. Robin was convinced that he only needed one, Little John. But then Little John abandoned him along the way. They fought about something. Robin shot better, but John said he was cheating and John threatened to leave the band. He never would, Robin knew. So Robin had let John go. He would walk the rest of the way in prayer and contemplation. Most of the people in Nottingham didn't travel through Sherwood Forest, 
for the mere reason that there was no purpose in traveling through the forest. Merchants, priests, knights, and emissaries of the king traveled, but most of the people in town never went more than five miles from their home their entire lives. So Robin figured that he had nothing to worry about from the townsfolk. The true danger crept out of the church the moment Robin entered it. He was a monk from London that Robin had relieved of some cash on his way into town earlier that week. For a monk, he certainly knew a lot of colorful words and didn't have trouble calling Robin, every single one of them. As Robin prayed, he distinctly heard 12 pairs of boots stomp into the sanctuary behind him and the heavy oak doors creaking shut. The sheriff of Nottingham bellowed from the back. He was under arrest. Robin's hand slowly moved to his sword mid-prayer. As the sheriff's man put his hand on the praying form of Robin, Robin asked for forgiveness and turned around. It was a miracle that none of the nearby parishioners were injured in the foray. The sheriff had been obsessed with Robin ever since the incident with the potter. That is, since everyone had seen the sheriff sprinting into town with nothing but a rope tying him to a horse. If a few people unlucky enough to be praying at the wrong time died, well, at least they would have a good shot at heaven, the sheriff thought. It was necessary to finally capture Robin Hood, the scourge of Sherwood Forest, and the man who had humiliated him. Flanked by twelve armed men, the sheriff of Nottingham stormed the church, and, within minutes, there were twelve corpses, but no prisoner. As Robin advanced toward the sheriff, the officer, to his credit, didn't flee. Robin brought his sword down hard on the sheriff's skull, but the sword broke. Robin stood in utter shock as a little glint of metal shimmered from beneath the sheriff's mantle. Dropping the broken sword and scrambling for a dagger, Robin cut the first blow from the sheriff's club square in his jaw, and, with the second on the back of the head, the world went dark. The sheriff gave Robin a few more pounds for good measure before tossing his club to the ground and knocking on the door. It was done. It was a success. Robin Hood had been captured. He dragged Robin Hood to the dungeons beneath Nottingham Castle, and he ordered the city on full lockdown after the monk left for London. The Sheriff of Nottingham wasn't the only powerful enemy Robin Hood had made, and Robin would answer for his crimes. Five guards and one page had ridden with the monk, and the five guards and one page were now dead, on account of the errors whispering through the trees. Even sitting atop the wagon, the monk found himself looking up at little John, who ripped an arrow from one of the guards, the last man out of Nottingham before the lockdown, given a guard worthy of the sheriff himself. Hmm. Little John was pretty sure he knew what the monk carried, but he wanted to hear the monk say it. Then, little John took a closer look at the monk's face. Wait a minute. He knew who this monk was. For a split second, the monk panicked before the scowl returned. Much already had an arrow notched, looking down the road as the rest of the band dragged the fallen bodies into the forest, looted them, and then left them for the animals. Much walked over with a questioning look. Why was this taking so long? Little John shared that this was the guy who snitched on Robin. They'd robbed him last week as he rode into town. Little John turned back to the monk. He understood why the monk did what he did. It was basically his duty. John didn't want this to be personal. He just needed that order from the sheriff to the king, asking for help transporting Robin, 
If the monk gave him that, he could live. The monk's glare evaporated as he dug into his robes and found the order, handing the rolled parchment to little John. Wow, really? No, this just couldn't have blood on it. You betrayed my friend, little John said, and stabbed the monk clear through his stomach before pulling him from the wagon and throwing him down on the open road. When one of Robin's men came out with a sword to finish off the monk, John shook his head. Don't do that. Drag him into the forest, but let him feel the consequences of his choices. Much, he yelled as he rolled up the parchment. They had it. And now, they were going to London. Sometime later, the carriage thundered into the city of London, the largest city in Great Britain, and the seat of the king. Much sat there in awe, but little John remained focused and serious. London was the greatest city he had ever seen, but he had to play the part for the life of his friend. You're a big one, aren't you? The guards remarked, craning their necks to look little John in the face. John thrust the request from the sheriff into their hands. He worked at the castle of Nottingham, and he was requesting a warrant from the king. They had caught some great outlaw or something. The guards held the paper. They had no idea what that said. With a wave of their hands, the guards let little John and Much inside. The king sat on his throne, while an advisor read the letter from the sheriff of Nottingham. Where are the monk and his page? The advisor asked, folding the letter. Little John nodded. Well, the page was right here, he said, gesturing to Much. But the monk was dead, your majesty. They buried him off the road on the first night. And who are you? The king boomed. Little John shrugged. He was the guard sent to escort the monk. Sherwood Forest was a dangerous place. And you guarded the monk? The advisor to the king asked. Yes. Couldn't guard him from dysentery, though, which is how he died, John said with another shrug. The king nodded. He understood that. Like, seriously, were antibiotics that difficult to invent? They could be killed by a paper cut. The Middle Ages were rough. He turned to his scribe. Anyway, give these men an order to escort Robin whatever from wherever here to be, I don't know, executed or something. These two look like they could handle the job. And if they couldn't, who cared? It was just some outlaw. The king stared impatiently as the ink dried. He pressed his signet ring to the melted wax and shooed the guests from the room so he could get back to his comparatively awesome life. In under an hour... Little John and Much were back in their cart, riding out for London and making their way back to Nottingham, royal order in hand. The sheriff looked up at Little John as he read the royal order. It was signed by an advisor to the king, a man the sheriff knew personally and it had been sealed with the royal seal. So everything was in order. And yet, the Sheriff of Nottingham couldn't shake the idea that he had seen the seven-foot-tall boulder of a man before. Little John looked down at the Sheriff with a smile. It had been dark the night he looped the Sheriff's rope around the horse and sent him back to town. Besides, he was standing right in front of the Sheriff. He was pretty sure he could give him the Oberon Martell treatment if things went south and be back in the forest before anyone knew what was up. He sighed. Still, Robin was in the dungeon, so he had to play nice. 
I was with the king the last time he was here, Little John explained. For the, uh, contest? The sheriff pursed his lips. He would rather not talk about that day. All right, everything looked to be in order. The pair could transport Robin at first light. First light, said Little John. The king was clear. Robin was to come as soon as possible. That's, I mean, that's not what this says. Besides, you guys might not know this, but Robin's friends in Sherwood, they would stop at nothing to get this guy back. Robin was the sheriff's prisoner, and the sheriff had final word. Robin would leave at first light. Now, to apologize about their experience in nodding him last time, he was having them up to the castle for drinks, and he would not take no for an answer. As little John and Much made their way through the town and up to the castle, they were a little grateful that they almost never came into Nottingham. But the moment they walked into the room and saw flagons of ale, little John had an idea. We'll see the completion of John and Much's master plan, but that will be right after this. You can read as much as you want from over a million books with Kindle Unlimited. I've personally had a Kindle for about 10 years, and from day one, it's been my favorite device. Gone were the difficult choices of deciding which books to take with you on vacation, a dilemma every nerd child knows. And these days, you can start on your Kindle and pick it up seamlessly on your phone, computer, or tablet. I mean, if you wanted to, you could even look like you're working very hard while reading your new favorite book on the Kindle desktop app. Not that I ever did that when I had a normal job. Kindle Unlimited takes what's awesome about the Kindle and the Kindle app and multiplies it by about 1 million because that's how many ebooks you immediately have access to. From The Lord of the Rings to 1984 to selected poems, you'll find a book you love on there. Books may be added or removed from time to time, but with a variety of genres and titles, you'll absolutely find your next favorite read. For a limited time, get two months of Kindle Unlimited for just 99 cents by visiting amazon.com legends. That's amazon.com slash legends to get two months of Kindle Unlimited for only 99 cents. Kindle. Read more. Spend less. This week's episode is brought to you by Madison Reed. So, you know what's really tough? Leaving the house. No, but like, say you have a day off. Do you want to make an appointment weeks in advance to have your hair colored? Have to go to a salon, pay a ton of money, and wait and wait? No. Who wants that, right? But now, you can have awesome, professional hair color delivered to your door for less than $25. People love the results. Gorgeous, shiny, multidimensional, healthy-looking hair that you can color at home and look like you just came from the salon, all without the massive price tag and having it eat up a chunk of your day. Madison Reed Color is unique because it's crafted by master colorists who blend so many nuances together to create over 45 gorgeous, multi-tonal shades. You can color at home, watch like Netflix or whatever while it works, and the only one who will know that you didn't go to a salon is you. Oh, and your bank account. Find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com. Myths and Legends listeners get 10% off, plus free shipping on their first color kit with code LEGENDS. That's code LEGENDS at madison-reed.com. All right, now back to the show. The relief in the sheriff's voice was palpable. Robin had been a specter looming in the forest ever since he arrived there as a boy. It would only take the slightest push to take the sheriff from excited to elated. And little John knew exactly what to say. Around 
drink three, he turned to the sheriff. The king was impressed by the sheriff. Well, correction, he had been horrified by the sheriff's complete incompetence a few years back, when Robin, you know, slaughtered the best archers in the kingdom and made off into the forest. The sheriff buried his face into his hands. Yes, he thanked Little John for reminding him of that again. But, Little John continued, the sheriff kept at it. He captured Robin and brought the man to justice, and now, well, there were other words being thrown around about the sheriff. And they weren't the old ones, like incompetent or buffoon. They were new words, like baron and earl. The sheriff nearly did a spit take. Seriously? Little John nodded. Oh yeah. He couldn't put it into the letter, because it had been dictated before the court, and the knives would immediately have come out for the king's new favorite. But, and this was just between the sheriff and the king's personal guard, soon after Robin's safe passage to London, the king would call for the sheriff. The sheriff slumped back in shock, and John worried that he had overplayed his hand. But that fear went out the window when the sheriff let out a massive woo and poured himself another drink. He poured himself many more drinks, and then drinks for all the men who helped him to capture Robin. He poured drinks for little John and much the miller's son, too but they poured theirs out over the wall when no one was looking. Little John and Much were nodding politely to the sheriff's babbling on and on about hard work and perseverance and the time he took on Robin and his men in the forest and stole back a palfrey when he excused himself to just set his head down on the table for a few minutes. There was a thud and a snore and the sheriff was out. Little John and Much stood from the benches, stretched and made their way down to the dungeons. <laughs> You guarding the prisoner? Much thundered to the jailer, mustering as much authority as he could. I'm here on authority of the king, Much continued, and we're taking this prisoner with us to let. Wait, we don't need to keep doing this, do we? Much broke off and turned to little John, who was already rushing from the torchlight, sword in hand. No, we don't. Good work, though. Little John stabbed the jailer in the chest. The outlaws picked the keys off the body and walked into the darkness. Robin was in the center cell at the end of the hall, chained to the wall. He winced when little John and Much turned the key to the door, but then he looked up. John got one look at his swollen, purple face and went to work unlocking the chains. Robin sighed as they passed the guard, his arms looped over John and Much's shoulders. The trio found the low spot on the wall that little John and Much had scouted out earlier that day. John lowered Robin down and Much helped him to his feet as... In the wee hours of the morning, the pair carried the limping Robin Hood back home, back to Sherwood Forest. The sheriff paced, sneering. Today was the day. Today was the day that the knights came from London and he marched on Sherwood Forest. He would burn the royal forest down if he had to. It didn't matter. He would find Robin Hood. It had been nearly a month since he had woken up on the bench, head pounding, being middle-aged for the Middle Ages, so about 32. The sheriff realized that passing out drunk was way less fun now. Still, the title, lands, and all the respect that came with them were within his grasp. That was when he heard the horn. The changing of the jailers at the end of the third watch meant that the body 
and Robin's escape had been discovered. Immediately, the sheriff ordered a search of the entire city, but he already knew he would find nothing. Robin Hood had escaped back to his home in Sherwood Forest, and so the sheriff didn't waste any time writing a letter. 13 men were dead, 28 if you counted the contest three years ago, alongside countless people who had been robbed or disappeared entirely into Sherwood Forest. The Robin Hood problem wasn't getting any better. The outlaw was only becoming more dangerous and powerful. He was well beyond the sheriff's power, and the sheriff needed help from the king. Weeks later, a breathless messenger returned on an exhausted horse. The king had seen it. The messenger confirmed it with his own eyes. With a nod, the king announced he would send his response within the week, and dismissed the messenger back to Nottingham. Now, the week was up, and the sheriff was pacing. The heralds announced an emissary from the king, and the sheriff threw open the door to a legion of mounted knights, hundreds of pikemen, and a dozen trebuchets. Or so he thought. Instead, he looked down into the face of one wizened old man who handed him a document, a familiar one, sealed with the king's signet ring, before shuffling back toward the gate and his horse. The sheriff tore up in the letter and read the king's response. It led by saying that he was aware Robin had escaped both of their grasps through an elaborate ruse, a con involving both of them, and that was hilarious. The king couldn't believe how flawlessly they had pulled it off. He wasn't even mad. I mean, publicly he had to be mad. But really, he was just impressed. But seriously, he wouldn't be sending any knights to burn down the forest or whatever the sheriff had put in his request. It was a royal forest for one. And two, if the king got involved, that made him look incompetent too. Robin Hood was the sheriff's problem. And the sheriff's problem, he would remain there would be no getting sucked down into the black hole of failure that was the sheriff of Nottingham's current state of affairs. And frankly, an outlaw who had already outsmarted them both? Good luck. The sheriff swore and threw the letter down. There would be no help from London. And he had just lost a dozen of his own men and lost Robin Hood out of his own dungeons. He had tried everything. Even the assassin he had hired had disappeared with the cash. Then, the sheriff heard shouting from the gate. When he left the castle, people were arrayed all along the wall and commoners lined the streets. The sheriff rushed down to see what was going on and he noticed a man wearing a horse skin cap, complete with the ears and all. He walked triumphantly with the head stuck on a pike. It had been horribly mutilated, but the sheriff recognized the green hood as the one who had taken up residence in his dungeons a month ago. Guy of Gisborne had returned to Nottingham and he had arrived as promised, with Robin Hood's head on a pike. Earlier that day, Robin Hood had been out on a walk. It was the first time he had been able to walk by himself since the dungeon. They figured it was safe enough. They had fled Sherwood Forest the week after he escaped Nottingham. They didn't fear the sheriff, but they didn't know what the king's response would be. Now, nearly a month on, they could see that there was going to be no response. Scouts moved daily between Barnsdale, where they now hid, and Sherwood. Spies watched Nottingham. Their leader finally mobile on his own, Robin Hood had announced that they were going back to Sherwood Forest that day. As his men packed up camp, Robin walked with bow in hand, sword at his belt. 
he had argued with little John that morning, asking his friend to leave him alone. There was nothing to worry about, he told little John. Lying, of course. But Robin had it in hand. He was hunting the men who were going to kill him. He had been having dreams for the last few days. And even though little John had promised them that they would disappear like wind on a hill, they still haunted him. In his dreams, two men stood over him. He was bound, and the men stabbed him. As the light faded in his dream, the pair slowly started to come into focus. Each night they became clearer, and each night they came just a little closer. Last night, he almost saw the face of the man who stabbed him, and that morning he'd felt drawn toward the forest. It was unfamiliar land, and Robin was looking forward to getting back to old Sherwood Forest, but maybe not getting back to normal. Something had to change. He'd been sucked into their world, and he was playing a part, like he was one of them. The crown taxed the people, the church taxed the people, the outlaws took what they could and gave the people something to hate. A boogeyman that the church and the crown could blame, while they continued robbing the people worse than Robin ever could. Now, Robin was realizing he had been sucked into their system, and something had to change. Just then, he heard the thudding of arrows into a tree, he ducked and took cover, notching an arrow of his own, when he realized they weren't coming for him. Steady, unhurried footsteps crunched sticks and detritus as the man went to pull his arrows from the tree. Robin allowed himself a glance and saw the man practicing with his bow. He looped his own bow round his shoulder and approached the stranger. The stranger let an arrow fly and nodded. Robin remarked that the stranger was a good shot. What was his name? Guy of Gisborne the stranger said. Wow, that's uh, a nice horse-skin cloak you have on there, Robin remarked. Guy smiled and thanked the young stranger. Yeah, you, you kept the ears on for the hood, too. You skin the horse yourself? Robin asked. Guy nodded. Cool, cool. What a normal and okay thing to do, Robin managed. Guy asked Robin his name and what he was doing so far out in the forest by himself. Robin sidestepped the first question, and replied that he was out here hunting the king's deer, and then he put his finger to his lips. Guy shrugged. More honorable than him, he was an assassin. He was out here hunting some guy named Robin Hood. Robin Hood took out his own bow and notched an arrow. With a laugh, he said that Guy was a little too far south for that, right? That the kid, Robin Hood usually worked in Sherwood Forest, if he even existed. Oh, he exists, Guy replied, firing another arrow. The sheriff caught him a few weeks back. Guy thought that he wouldn't get paid for the job, but then Robin escaped. When Guy found their camp in Sherwood, it was abandoned, and he attracted the scouts here, to the group's new camp. Wait, Robin Hood is real? And he's here, in Barnsdale? Robin sputtered, wide-eyed. Guy shook his head. <laughs> Not for long. The band was packing up. They were probably heading back to Sherwood Forest. And when they did, they would be in for a nasty surprise. Robin Hood turned to Guy. Like what? Guy beamed. He tipped off one of the sheriff's men early that morning. There would be 140 armed guards waiting for them when they returned to camp. The sheriff didn't know, of course. There was no job too simple for him to screw up. Robin swallowed hard. He had to find a way out of here. He had to warn his men. The funny thing about this Robin Hood 
is that the sheriff of Nottingham thinks he's some mastermind, Guy continued. You want to know something about this so-called legendary outlaw? The one who can't be caught? Robin, still searching for an exit that wouldn't reveal himself, nodded absentmindedly. Yeah, he's just a kid. A kid who ran away from home into the forest. Sure, the circumstances were tragic, but he's not only conning the sheriff, but his own men. He's got no plan. He took control of some band of outlaws because he was smarter than them, and he had trained with his father's master of arms. He would have been a knight if it wasn't for what happened, but he had no idea what he was doing. And now, a whole lot of people were going to die because of it. Robin heard another one of Guy's arrows thud into a tree. Anyway, I should let you go, Guy said. Robin turned, and he saw that Guy had sidled up next to him. Before Robin could reach for his knife, before he could do anything, he felt Guy's dagger slide into his side. With a smile, Guy jammed it in up to the hilt. It was very nice to meet you. Don't worry about going to warn your men. You'll see them soon enough. And then you can tell them all about who you really are, Robin of Loxley. Robin gasped as Guy twisted the knife, and all the famous outlaw could do was pray. That's where we're going to leave it this week. Next week, we'll conclude the shocking beginning to our Robin Hood stories by seeing what happened when Little John, Much, Friar Tuck, and the others arrived back at Sherwood Forest to find 140 heavily armed men waiting for them. And we'll see what the sheriff does with all of his unexpected good luck. say thanks to Jazzy96, Scoops with a Z, David J. Keys, Electric V01, Hanging in Clouds, Barrett J, Ollie Hyden, J. Purdy, Nancy Mizas, Phil Mathis, Jessamine Lace, and Bradley's Mommy 07 for the reviews on Apple Podcasts. Thank you all so much for listening and for the reviews. And if you'd like to leave a review, Apple Podcasts is still the best place. And you can find the show there at apple.mythpodcast.com. And there's also a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of grass flip-flops, flip-flops where the part your foot rests on is actual grass, you can get extra episodes, source-back ebooks, and ad-free versions of the show that won't be completely destroyed the first time you use them. Or turn into a sweaty, dirty mess if they do manage to last more than a few days. Check out support.mythpodcast.com for more info on the membership. The creature this week is the merman, from the folklore of basically everywhere. Despite their alluring, blue steel faces making appearances in lotion commercials, and the merman's generally attractive and appealing counterpart, the mermaid, the merman, is seriously a mixed bag. I guess there's a reason why mermaids are always looking for mates on land, and from sailors, because the merman from the folklore of Ireland and Scotland at least, is a hunched and wrinkled old man, with beady little pig eyes, and hair that's almost indistinguishable from seaweed in texture, smell, and mouthfeel. Their skin feels like that of an eel. Their breath reeks of rotting fish, which I guess makes sense when you think about their diet and likely lack of dental hygiene under the sea. Also, their nose and cheeks are generally flushed and red, 
because after they find a shipwreck or wreck a ship they find, they'll immediately consume all the alcohol on board. I mean, that I get at least. It's not like those barrels are airtight, and once they go into the water, the clock is ticking. In Cornish folklore, the buka, a specific type of merman, can be placated with offerings of fish, which seems like kind of a slap in the face to beings who are constantly surrounded by fish, and who probably have a lot of fish friends. But I guess a free meal is a free meal. The Irish marrow comes from a Cornish cognate, which means sea hog, and if being generally gross wasn't enough, they keep sailor soles in lobster pots under the water. I don't know what they do with them. Now, the Scandinavian merman is a different story, and he's probably what you think about when you think about merman. He's this ripped guy with flowing black or green hair and a beard. He doesn't stink, I'm assuming he brushes his teeth, and he doesn't want anything to do with you. The Scandinavian mermen are extremely reclusive, and even though they can cure illnesses, lift curses and make potions, they don't really share these talents, preferring instead to hang out at the bottom of the sea, or inside inaccessible caves. So yeah, when it comes to mermen, you have two options. The one who's really into you, but he's a stinky drunk guy with clammy skin who's really into his weird little collections, or the Jack Doctor with great hair who wants nothing to do with you. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes, and I want to say thanks again to Kindle Unlimited for sponsoring us this week. Read as much as you want from over a million books, and 5,000 audiobooks with Kindle Unlimited. Enjoy Kindle Unlimited on any device with the Kindle app, and read anytime, anywhere. Books may be added and removed from time to time, but with a variety of genres and titles, you're sure to find your next favorite read. For a limited time, get two months of Kindle Unlimited for just 99 cents by visiting amazon.com legends. All right, thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.